it, baby! But here, I've met a lot of people and I've played some too. And there's one thing I know, people like to talk. <laughs> it's the Spudcast. That's where you at. Hey, we have How y'all making? Thanks for joining the Spudcast podcast as I'm talking out my ass. Joining me in this podcast is uh, filmmaker extraordinaire from Bayou, down by Lafouche, uh, Glenn Pete. Also knighted by the French government. It's got a new novel out, so we'll talk about all that and more on the Spudcast right after this. I scream, you scream, we all scream for beads and doubloons and coconuts and marching bands and walking clubs and tableaus and mask balls and mystic crews and everything else that says Mardi Gras. Keep Mardi Gras what it's always been, a family event before Lent. If you want to help keep traditions alive, go to MardiGrasAlliance.com and join the growing group of businesses, citizens, and carnival entities that want to keep Mardi Gras a safe and happy event without it being regulated to death. Go to MardiGrasAlliance.com and laissez les bon temps rouler. But here, and you know the first place I go when my family needs to see a doctor's rapid urgent care. I mean, you're in and out of there in 40 minutes, give or take. You spend that much time in an ER just waiting to get triaged. From a broken ankle to a bee sting to a COVID test, rapid urgent care's got you covered with clinics all over southeast Louisiana. You don't need an appointment. Just walk right in with your ID and your insurance card. Or you can sign up for their health care partnership. Rapid Urgent Care also has a telemed center. Just waiting for your call might save you a trip. Go to rapidurgentcare.com to find out more and to find the clinic nearest you. Glenn Pete, who so graciously agreed to do my show, The Spudcast, and I interrupt your lunch. <laughs> Catching you in mid-chew. I guess I'm just a chew, Glenn. A chew. I'm a chew. I'm a crut. I'm all that. <laughs> How you been, man? Glenn Pete, world famous filmmaker that you are. <laughs> life is good. Life is life is good. All things considered, a little bit stir crazy these days. Mm. Like most of the rest of the world, and you know, I've lost lost a few you know friends, but um, you know, so I knock on wood, Michelle and I are healthy, and you know, for a moment still employed, and yeah. You know, uh, could, well, could be a lot worse. I see people suffering a lot more than we have. So well, and 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 I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean, I'm uh, I'm having to reinvent myself uh, in the mm-hmm. middle of this pandemic. This Which is a, a, a reinvention's a healthy thing. Obviously, it is, and it isn't. That every you should do that every ten years. Well, I tried to reinvent myself before, and uh, the idea that I had was a really good idea. That everybody went, man, that's a great idea, but I'm not coming to your event because I'm too busy, you know, doing something else. And the rain made me push it back a week. And so, I mean, it was a great idea. And one of these days when I dig myself out of the hole that I got into for doing the big teasy coffee and tea fest, I may put it on again. But, uh, in in the meantime, uh, it's the Spudcast podcast talking out my ass. (laughs) Which, which is one of, it's always been one of your strengths. (laughs) <laughs> yes, <I'm... laughs> being your best feature. <laughs> yes, oh yes. Believe me, uh, uh, heaping piles of bullshit has always uh, been something I've carried. You know, ever, ever since college. You know what? Ever since I roomed with Perry Martin, I've always kept a big, big Samsonite suitcase full of bullshit because you never know when it's going to come in here. So there it is. Anywho, to be a fly in the wall in that dorm room. Oh lord. Well, you know what? I just did a spudcast with a, a friend of mine. 
named uh, Spuddy Fauché, who was in the same dorm. And uh, and he does a cooking show on Facebook, and uh, and and he's got like fifty episodes now, and he's he's trying to figure out how can I do this. And I went, so anyway, we talked about it and cooking and different things that he does. And then back in the day, living in a dorm, and that's what he brought up is, uh, you know, I mean, you guys, y- y'all used to sing, you know, and we would we'd be singing and we'd be laying in bed, you know, fixing to go to sleep, but laying there running over songs that we had to do in, in parade or this nightclub act we put together. Plus, Perry had his his parakeet named Bogey that we had to keep hiding from the house mother, you know. And but he he'd be in there singing, you know, and, and uh, you know he he kept he kept trying to get that bird to say, "Play it, Sam, play it, Sam." And we always got to say, "Screw you, Perry." Except we did we didn't just say "screw," but it spoke <laughs> it spoke right. that very clearly, you know. Anyway, so how let's let's start with uh, with Glenn. Okay, Glenn P. Okay. Now, first off, everybody else outside the area calls you Petrie. But everybody like from who was familiar with the Baya, I'm not from the Baya, but I went to Nichols and I lived on the Baya for a long time. Actually, that's not quite true. What? That's not quite true. Half of the people down by Alafouche say Petrie and the other half say Pete. Yeah, but you got interlopers down there. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's, it's, it, uh, you know, you got to go back uh, a a generation. You know, my, my grandfather, who didn't speak a word of English, it was Pete. Hmm. And Pitt became Pete, but it had that R-E, which you don't really hear in French. No. But you see it in English. Uh-huh. So Pitt became Pete or became Petrie. Uh, spelled the same way, although I've seen a few people spell it P-E-T-R-E on the West. Yeah, but that's that's like, yeah, but that's that's Dick Van Dyke. You know, that's Petrie. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, they're the cousins. <laughs> they're cousins. They're, their grandparents were at the Chenier Hurricane, just like mine. But it got switched somewhere along the way. Well, that's like that's like uh, Boudreaux and Gotro having an X at the end of the name because they couldn't spell, so the priest would write it out and they'd put the X, and then the next thing you know, they're in the census and they got a they got an X on the end of their name. You know. <laughs> and if you and if you go up to uh, New Brunswick, they spell it O T at the end, but the same name. Mm-hmm. Same name. Ah, what the hell? It don't matter as long as it, as long as the check don't bounce, then. Uh, you know, Shakespeare said, what's in a name? Uh, then again, my name is Spud, so I got no reason to bitch about anything. You are... You know, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Los Angeles once, and I had something to do with the bank. And uh, it, at the time, I've had the same bank since I was 16, but it's, I've also changed banks like about eight times because they mm-hmm. keep getting bought and bought and bought. Yeah. At that point, it was First Interstate. And they had First Interstate in California, too. So I went into the First Interstate and I, yeah, I'm trying to cash a check, and they're looking at me with this Louisiana account. And they said, we're going to call your branch. Go ahead. You know, money's in the bank. And so the woman, this assistant branch manager, calls you know, Thibodeau, and she's on the phone, and I see her crack up laughing. And finally, I said, is everything okay? She goes, oh, yeah, it's fine. They, they, they say your check's good. And, and and your cousin says they're so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the big L.A. We're over here in the little L.A., and you're in the big L.A. Yeah. Well, you know what? After Belazar, I got to tell you, man, after you made Belazar the Cajun, and my mama loved that movie, by the way. Uh, cause she's a woman. She, she had to be taught English in school. She, she came up mm-hmm. from her French. Like my parents. Yeah. 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 But, uh, she, uh, oh, everybody in the state who really and truly had no 
My connection to the Cajuns is my mother. My father did not speak French. My mother did, but we don't speak French. I know, you know, I know a couple of cuss words and things like that. But hmm. everybody, everybody, I'm sure, south of Alexandria felt a little swell of Cajun. Whether they had any real natural blood in there or not, <laughs> they all went, yeah, that's my man Glenn. That's my man Glenn Pete made that. Look, you know. And so, and, and it was a great flick. So, I mean, you uh, yeah. you kind of yeah, like. A handful of years ago, we saw it again because it's been shot back in 85. That's mm-hmm. just getting back a ways. And it's held up, I have to say. I, I was, you know, there's like every other movie I've made, there are a few moments where I cringe and wish I could do that over. <laughs> but but by and large, it's, 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 it's you know, like, yeah, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> no, that was <laughs> a good was flick. A good it was a good story. Uh, it was well acted. It was well shot. Uh, your extras were good. You know, Duvall was there, but he didn't take away. Um, you know, every I loved Armand Asante. I really did. You know, I've seen him do some other stuff where he plays a real prick, but it's like, dude, he was just and when that scene where he's negotiating Spud, the penance Spud, with the priest. But just imagine if I'd have had the least little clue what I was doing. <laughs> no, no, because then you would have made the perfect film and it wouldn't be perfect no more. That's that's <laughs> you, you know may be right. Well, it's you true. Right. You're trying. You know what? It's like trying to do Confederacy of Dunces. They got all these people coming from outside the city or outside the state, oh, we're going to show you how to do it. And it ain't been made yet. Why? Because they ain't got a clue, but they ain't going to yeah. give local the opportunity, you know? And so that's, right. that's why that thing's never going to get made. So it's like you're, you're, while you're a pro and you were a good filmmaker then and an even better filmmaker out now, the fact of the matter is you didn't let that stuff interfere with the, with the Cajun that is you that grew up and knew the story you needed to tell. And that's oh, right. in, in the in the words of Louis Prima. Yeah, I can read music, but not enough to hurt me none. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, look, let's not kid ourselves, man. I, I know I don't know how many folks out there know it, but you you've been knighted by the French government because of your film work. I mean, mostly your your uh, your French, your Cajun French uh, documentaries, Huiteur Pester, and uh, whatever the rest yeah. of them. I don't know. I can't speak French, <laughs> but uh, I remember Huiteur. Um, I mean, do you ever like drag your, your, your medal out and put it on your coat and kind of parade around at the Mardi Gras? Yeah. <laughs> I have, but uh, I've wore it to some French reception one time and, uh, you know, I got pulled aside and told that this was very, very bad form, that the big medal was to be displayed on the wall and, uh, you're supposed to wear this little tiny tie clip. <laughs> said, a tie clip? Yeah, I said, but that'd be subtle. There ain't nothing subtle about my people. <laughs> no. Look, I because, hey, I was there when you got that medal. I brought Perry, and he and I were there for the event. And we're looking, and there's the, the French console, and he's got his tuxedo on, and he's all fancy with his suit. Everybody's all, and you got a nice jacket and nice, and jeans and tennis shoes. And we're looking at, now you see, there's a guy, this is like, this is like the man of La Mancha, you know, he's not going cuckoo overboard. And afterwards, Perry was going, you, you, you think maybe you should have wore a tux? He went, no, Perry, we're the buyer. You know? <laughs> it was, well, I tell you what, we were proud then. So. Oh, well, good, 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 good. Now you're more than a, okay, I got to step away for a second, but you're more than a filmmaker. You got a new novel out. And when we get back, we're going to talk about that. Glenn Pete is mm-hmm. my guest. He is uh, from Cote Blanche Productions, filmmaker, 
uh, knighted by the French government, and now he has learned how to scribble scratch and crank out a book. So we'll be back <laughs> with more. Hey, man, I, you know what? I got a couple of cartoons I drew, but I ain't never wrote no book. So there you go. <laughs> back with more on this podcast right after this. Just when you thought 2020 had served up the worst it had to offer, here comes hurricane season and the flooding rains of summer, right? Does the sound of thunder strike fear in your home in a good year? Well, I can't help you with pandemics or Saharan sand, but I can tell you how to fix your flooding problem. Call the team at Home Team Elevation. Their precision home raising equipment will lift you above the floods. It's height done right. Guaranteed. Get your flooding problem fixed now with the Home Team Advantage. Experienced, hands-on, local owners. In the worry, stop insurance rate hikes. You want design choices? On the Home Team, you're the MVP. So don't wait. Elevate with Home Team Elevation because the flood stops here. Get your free quote at 3011222. Or go to hometeamelevation.com. Okay, back here talking to uh, Glenn Pete, Sir Glenn Pete, knighted by the French government for his filmmaking, but he's not just a filmmaker. I'm, he's also... I'm, I'm, I'm also... I got an honorary doctor at once, right? And so... Uh, Wait, like a foot doctor or what? Well, I'm honorary <laughs> doctor of arts. But the, a friend of mine, you know, after that happened, wanted to uh, congratulate me. They made a cake and it had Sir Doc because of the knighthood and the doctorate. And uh, I guess the cake place didn't get it right. It said, Sir Doc, (laughs) D-O-C-K. Close enough. Close enough. enough. Yeah, yeah, should have just called it the boat shed and called it a day. It wasn't a a doctorate, honestly, come by anyway. So, hey. Nah, what the hell? You know what? I mean, I I don't have an honorary. I got a friend of mine who who has a doctorate, but he got it. It's a mail order thing, you know? And it wasn't even University of Phoenix. But you know what? I mean, he was a school teacher at an MFA, and somebody else was flaunting their doctorate, so he went online and got a doctorate, and they didn't ever check anything. They never checked where it came from, you know. But you don't need a doctorate to uh, you don't need a doctorate to write. And I mean, you've written so many screenplays and written the scripts for the uh, for the movies that you've made. So you turned your attention to uh, to to novels. And uh, well, actually, I I'd done about a half dozen books before. A couple of novels back in the 90s and some nonfiction books. Um, and, you know, it just gotten too busy. Um, but there was this one story that I really wanted to tell. And I, I knew it was too big, too big in scope uh, to be a movie, both because it would, you know, it would run 20 hours long, mm-hmm. uh, but also because of what it was, it would cost so much this was this was not a budget anybody was likely to ever let me have yeah, to make a movie. uh so you know it really lent itself to fiction and i'd start working on it and then i'd get a directing gig and then i'd start working on it and then i get you know write screenplay for you know you know tied up for a few months and make good money um and you know for producing something or whatever it was and and so over probably a dozen years, I'd do a chunk and then I'd get pushed aside, do a chunk and get pushed aside. But eventually I got it to, you know, the first draft was like 900 pages and then I cut it down and then, then I cut it down and, you know, I ended up doing several drafts and, and, you know, applying the same diligence 
I would do to a screenplay if we're going to make a movie. Uh, although it's a different form of writing, it's, it, fiction is different from from. Well, I mean, screenplays as such are all in first person, and I got to tell you, reading reading novels, I love to read. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to read as much as I'd like to because I used to read just scads of stuff, all different kinds. But I, I don't particularly care for first person novels. There's very few of them that I've read that you know somebody telling the story and it's it's almost like in the present as they tell it. I don't like that. I like I like somebody a, a story a raconteur from the outside telling <laughs> the thing. But I mean, you if you got this if it took you this long to do it and it's that grand of a story, and uh, it was you know 900 pages long, dude. I mean, many series or, or series I've done I mean three or four series now where the whole season is only six to ten episodes it might be i mean so, now with what netflix and prime are doing i mean you you, you could but, but it's it's also a cradle to grave not cradle to grave but it you know starts at the character's conception and goes mm-hmm. to at least 21 it goes from 1893 to 1915 bookended by you know two of the worst hurricanes of louisiana history and it's magic realism it's uh it's a tall tale it's it's uh it's southern gothic writ large with uh, exaggeration and all in the form of a self-help book. The <laughs> character, the character is called Advice from the Wicked. And Advice this, from the Wicked. This, and this young man who's 21 by the end of the book is describing his life and especially his mother uh, as examples of what not to do to stay on the straight and narrow path. And you get all their misadventures, and especially his. He's always trying to keep his mother out of trouble and always failing miserably, uh, even as all these events happen around them. Uh, I mentioned the two hurricanes. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, the, the great flood of 19, great flood in Louisiana, at least of 1903. Uh, you have echoes of the pandemic. You have the, the big yellow fever epidemic where even uh, Archbishop Chappelle died. They said because uh, there were mos- mosquitoes growing in the in the, the fonts of, of mm-hmm. holy water just inside the church, and on and on. And it takes you from the the coast in a fishing village to the grandest sugar plantation in the state to uh, the Storyville Red Light District in New Orleans uh, during its heyday. That's a pretty grand tour of a book. <laughs> Advice from the Wicked. Where can people Advice find this book? Uh, it's online. Uh, you know, it's Amazon. Look for advice from the wicked. And, well, I mean, did, I mean well, because there's so many people out there writing things, and, and I've read some things, and I'll, I'll get five pages into it and just go, oh, this is just awful. And you see, you know, all these uh, all these self, uh, self-published self books, which the cool thing that Amazon's doing, from what I understand, is that you can self-publish the book and, uh, and go on Amazon and sell it, and they won't even print it until you sell a copy of it. So it doesn't cost that much to do it up front. It's not like you got to have five hundred, you know, a thousand or ten thousand copies of a book printed up. But uh, and it, it, it's also immediate. It's also, you know, it's it, it's it's very democratic. It's, you know, I have to say, at first I was shy. My agent, my New York book agent, uh, died mm. in the process of the, the dozen years of writing this book. And you look, know, should have looked for the wicked movies. So I didn't. I didn't look to replace. So, you know, when time came, when the pandemic hit, and I figured, well, time to put this sucker out. And I thought, okay, where's the conventional method, which is what all the half dozen books before were. Mm -hmm. 
I said, well, let me try this. This is future. And, you know, it's sort of like going back to my, you, you talked about those first films I did, like We Piastrated Me and La Fieve Jean. And we're, we're talking the late 70s. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like going back to that. Yeah. I almost felt like I was selling T-shirts in the movie theater lobby again yeah. <laughs> for my movie that's playing on the screen. It, it Well, you know, the thing- mailing list over the years from all the people that seen the movies and you know, and sending things out and, and hearing back and getting questions and dealing with people one-on-one, which would, mm-hmm. n- you know, not really happen in in the, almost at the old system, I guess the conventional system, but it, it, I think it may become the old system. The world, you know, that technology is changing. Now, not everybody, no. you know, is... is not everybody's online. prepared for it. Not everybody is... No. Well, for like this, not everybody is really hardly, hardly push reading anymore. I've found, though... Um, I love the retro nature of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, well, you know what, though? it The the thing about reading, as opposed to watching a movie, and I love to watch movies, don't get me wrong. I love to watch TV, you know, um, if it's good. But you're, you're, you're looking at somebody else's vision. When you're reading, you've got the own vision. Like, when I was reading A Confederacy of Dunces, when, my, when Dean Nolan LeConte gave me my first copy of it, right when, I, right when it came out in paperback, he gave me a copy, and I started reading it. I, la- I read it all weekend, laughed out loud all weekend. People were going, what in the hell? I'm sitting in the lobby of Malay Zarang reading this book, and they are just, what the hell's the matter with it? I, um, well, and, I and couldn't. Also- I kept picturing in my mind Victor Buono as Ignatius. And then people who saw me on stage said, well, then they finally read the book and all they can do is see me on, on in their mind while the things, while the stuff they're reading in the book, it's like, it's, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating way to, to, to look at stuff because it may, it exercises your mind so that when you do go back to the movies, you look at them with a more critical eye, as opposed to just, you know, sitting back and letting your brain get sucked into somebody else's dream. And and from a filmmaker's point of view, I mean, it's something you said that, that I disagree with. You said it's somebody else's vision. It's not somebody else's vision. It's an army of other people's vision because making a movie involves so, you know, the director gets the credit or the producer gets mm-hmm. the Oscar or, you know, so sometimes, you know, we, we, we say it's the stars movie. But the reality is so many people are involved uh, at so many steps along the way. Uh, you know, having directed movies and, you know, a couple of them pretty good, a couple of them pretty bad, most of them in between, uh, you know, having done it, you realize that you're getting credit for what's good. And sometimes you, you know, it was pure dumb luck mm-hmm. and you're getting blamed for what's bad. And sometimes you did everything humanly possible and, and, and knew even at the time and it wasn't enough. Yeah, I know. I know that a good uh, so, a good editor can a good editor can make a really bad movie look better, and they can take a really good flick and ruin it. And the same thing with performances, you know. And I mean, performances you've and worked, wardrobe and, and everything. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, that's true. But it's still yeah. somebody else's vision because somebody else had to yeah, come up it, with write it and then sit down and get it done. And yeah, there's yeah, a lot so, of pieces in there. You know, again, I mean, when I'm reading a book, the influence is just everything yours. I've dealt with. Yeah, it's yeah. you and the author. It's you and the. It's like. I mean, it's like having good sex. It's you and the author. What's that? Who are just, who are just taking <laughs> What are you this, reading, Glenn? <laughs> you, you can, I, I, I thought Penthouse went I mean, out of business, man. <laughs> I, I mean, the, it's the intimacy of the act, which is you almost always with a perfect stranger. You know, you, you know rarely do 
I know a lot of authors, and you know, it's still rare that you read a book from somebody you know well. You are inside their head, and, and when it's well-written, they're getting inside your head, just as you said. I mean, because it's giving you the, the infrastructure to to see this world, mm. to believe this world, to, to be a part of it, to take the ride with the characters, to feel the heartache they feel, to feel the to share the, the, the joyful moments and yeah. you it, it becomes part of you for that time while you read All right. and a good a good movie can do that too, but a good well, movie's usually ninety minutes and, and a good book will yeah. to read. Well, that's just it, too. A good book. I mean, people will look at it and go, man, that's a thick book, but I got all summer to read it. As for a movie, they're going to go, if it gets up to two hours, they're like, gee, whatever happened to the old-time intermission so I can go pee? And that's why so many people are, are sort of digging on Netflix and such. I'm out of time, but I got to ask you this. If you, okay, come in. I'm, I'm digging on what you're saying about being... Uh, I'm not a you, man of few words. No, know, you ain't. But that's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of really loud words. <laughs> if you could have I mean, I guess I'm asking, who do you read? If there's an author out there that read that you would like to have their honest criticism of your book, who would it be? Jim Burke, James Lee Burke. James Lee Burke. Who's who's a friend. And, you know, I've never been much for detective stories, you know, really mm-hmm. not a genre I like. But uh, I'll read his stuff, and you know I don't care about the detective part. I just you know what a what a, a command of language. Yeah. Thrown away phrase in every sentence is just so evocative. It's so without getting in the way, without getting because sometimes you read people who you know are great with words, but but the words are so choice that they pull you out of the story. His don't do that. Um, you know, so you know to have somebody like that, to have somebody who's you know. Mm-hmm. If if I guess to answer your question, if I could raise uh, Gabriel Marquez out of the grave and have him read my book, you know that would be it because that yeah. you know that's a style that I I think this follows in the tradition of. Uh, but uh, of what you're trying but, to do. But he's gone, and we can't do that. Well, that's okay because you just brought him back to people who really don't know who he is. All right, last thing: where where can I mean the book is on Amazon? It's a, a, a self help book from a from a guy who's born and goes to be twenty one. I'm going. I got a I got a son who's twenty one. You know, other than uh, other than maybe helping me change the tire, there's not a whole lot of advice that uh, he's prepared to give somebody well, I'm, like me. I'm not, I'm not saying that the advice should be taken without a grain of salt. Oh, dude, man, uh, it's a, a shaker of salt. <laughs> it's 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 wild and wacky fiction. Uh, it's you know. Mm-hmm. Very funny at times, very sad at times, uh, and it certainly takes you on a journey through Louisiana of a hundred years ago. And, very cool. And you get to, you know, you get to be a part of that world, and, and again, three aspects of that world: the the fishing village, the big plantation, and then New Orleans when New Orleans was like one of the top big top ten mega mm-hmm. cities in, in the nation, and still a manufacturing hub. Yeah. Uh, and had the most renowned uh, red light district in the country. Yeah, well they used to, when they used to actually premiere uh international operas here, you know, when it was yeah. when it was on par with some of the big European cities. Clint Pete, I gotta go. I appreciate it. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. This well I'll call fun. you back. Always well there's always something good to talk about friend. with you. Anyway, well give Michelle a big hug and a kiss for me and uh and uh, we'll tell everybody to go read and, your book. And same to Mo hope her sister's doing better and uh Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Working on it.
So, all right, babe, be safe. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye. Hey, what you got going this weekend? Can't go to the game. You can't even tailgate. So what you going to do? Go fishing. Get yourself a licensed and insured charter guide on lasaltwater.com. Super easy to follow that website. What you going to catch? Where you want to catch it? How you want to catch it? All the big ones are waiting for you. And to top it off, you'll still be able to watch the game on TV at the lodge at the end of the day of fishing. Sounds great? Got an open spot for you, babe. If you want in, just sign up on lasaltwater.com. All right, so uh, before we go, we got to do our dumbass of the day. Except this time, we're not really doing a dumbass. This time, we're going to do something a little bit different since we spoke to Glenn Pete and he's all, you know, happening and cool. I saw this article uh, about uh, this guy, this artist uh, named Joe Ferris is his name. He's uh, He lives in upstate New York, and he's going around. they got all these uh, people who are in assisted living and things like that. And uh, he goes up to the windows where they are, and they stand there and pose for him. He draws caricatures of them. And he's been doing it for a while, and uh, it's getting to be pretty popular. And, I mean, I, I think uh, some of the residents of some of these homes are going like, man, when's it my turn? He, uh, he said, it's just a safe way to keep residents entertained and doing something during these tough times. He's drawn about 500 portraits uh, of nursing home and uh, assisted living facility residents since the pandemic started. And his portraits have helped all these residents to feel a little less lonely, brought a little excitement to their lives. And that's that's a cool thing. So kudos to you there, Joe Ferris. The only problem I see is that all the characters you've drawn, they all look like Topo Gigio. Am I dating myself there? Thanks, Ed Sullivan. Thank you for listening here on the Spudcast. Thanks for tuning in. You can find me on on Red Circle and Spotify and Google and Pandora and iHeart and Public Radio. And I also link to uh, my Facebook page, Spud's Friends and Fans. And I'm also on Twitter. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the Spudcast. We'll have more for you next week. In the meantime, y'all stay safe. Watch out for the crazies. But I'm a gone pecone.